welcome to the HJ Talks About Abuse podcast, the podcast where we talk about sexual abuse cases in the hope that it will assist listeners in openly discussing topics which have been ignored for too long. This podcast is brought to you by the abuse team at Hugh James. We are lawyers, so we tend to speak about the legal aspects of abuse cases, but we aren't too shy to speak up about the broader issues faced by survivors of sexual abuse too. We hope that you find it interesting, but more than that, if you are a survivor of sexual abuse, we hope that you find our discussion empowering. Hello, my name is Alan Collins. I'm the partner who heads up the abuse team at Hugh James. And in this latest podcast brought to you by the abuse team, I'm joined by my colleague, Anna Hodson. Hi, Anna. Hi, Alan. So in this podcast, we're going to be discussing the difficulties of sexual abuse disclosure for a child and in some situations, parents. Obviously, in this podcast, we're going to be discussing sensitive issues which may be distressing. So if you feel that you may be troubled by this podcast and its content, now's the time to turn off and go off and do something else. Otherwise, please do stay with us. So I'm going to hand over to Hannah, who has suggested this particular podcast, to make an introduction as to what it's all about and why we're talking about it. Yeah, thanks, Alan. So Netflix have recently come out with a new short drama called Dark Money. Now, this is something I saw, and it's about a Hollywood producer who abuses a child star on his latest film. Now, I thought this would be a good one to talk about in a podcast because it's actually a very powerful dramatisation. It's, it's, it's quite an uncomfortable watch, but I thought it was really, really good and hard-hitting about the abuse of children by powerful people and how this can be an uneven balance of power between the abuser and the abused. And it really highlights how difficult it can be for a child to disclose abuse. So to help me, I have not seen this Netflix. So tell me a little bit more about the film. Yeah, so it, as I said, it's just about um, a Hollywood producer. Now he has a new young actor work on the film and the child is basically abused. By him. By him. Yeah. And it just follows the child and it, it really shows how, how he struggles to disclose this. And it also shows the impact on the parents as well, which I thought was something to talk about, too, because parents can find it difficult. You know, they don't know how to navigate it when their child's been sexually abused. And it really just demonstrates the emotion and how uncomfortable it can be for both the child and the parent. So in the film, how does the abuse come out? The child discloses? The child discloses, yeah. yeah. I have to say, this is actually Danny who watched this, so she gave me a brief on it. Um, <laughs> oh, here we go. So this is all third-hand information, right? OK. Um, yeah, this is... Um, Danny did give me the rundown on it. So, yeah, that was sort of the basics of it. I did see a snippet of it, so I, I don't want to run through the whole plot. That was basically the, the storyline. OK, so since neither of us actually watched this film, better make that point, but I get the gist, I get the flavour. So... Parents are often manipulated, they're often groomed by the abuser. So time and time again, we find that when the survivor comes to us many years after they're being abused, they're often very critical of their parents, rightly or wrongly. And a common trait is that the abuser has somehow become the parent's friend. So a common scenario is maybe teacher at school, the teacher seems to ingratiate himself or herself with the parents and this teacher becomes very much part of the 
ban your elder family, you know, and it just sort of facilitates the ability to abuse the child. And of course, then when the abuse comes out, the relationships are already skewed as a result of the abuse, become even more skewed and even more troubled because, you know, there's a lot of blame being cast around either directly or indirectly. I see parents sort of in denial or parents withdrawing. And of course, you know, we've actually got a survivor there who has suffered physically, mentally, and is continuing to to suffer. And so those sort of strands of support that should be there are distorted. That's why child abuse is so so um serious and so damaging because of you know the effects that it has it can be so you know so long term if not permanent anyway i'm just sort of walking away there because you know you talk about difficulties of parents and the abuse comes out because parents often feel responsible rightly or wrongly and the damage on those on the relationships with the child or children end up becoming so um distorted if not fractured permanently very sad yeah i think you know as you just said alan this is what can make it even more problematic particularly with grooming situations as, as you've just mentioned you find it either goes one way where the parents are you know in denial or the other hand is an extreme guilt feeling you know feeling responsible and makes a really upsetting situation even more distressing even harder to deal with parents you know rightly so feel overwhelmingly upset and don't really know how to handle the situation and and support the child but as you said at the center of this there is a child who has suffered and it's it's really tricky I mean I guess there's no you know one one way to deal with it no I think I think you know going off on a tangent I think there should be a lot more information and education for parents of children that have been sexually abused regardless of when the sexual abuse comes out whether it's immediate or many years after the event i can remember some years ago a case where the mother was really compounding the, the harm her son had been sexually abused as a child and she was putting a lot of pressure on the child not to support the police in a prosecution because she had it in her head that if her son gave evidence about what he had experienced, he would become quote unquote gay. And mm. and you you know, you can't say to people, don't talk a lot of nonsense, put it politely, you know, because it'd be unprofessional. But that was a classic example of a person who had responsibilities but because of what happened all sort of sense common sense had just gone out of the window and was probably making things a lot worse but you know it's not our job to tell people what to do or what not to do and pass judgment and whatever with you know we're there to to try and provide a sort of holistic way through through all of this, you know, we're lawyers, not here to reach and tell people, you know, what's right and what's not and all the rest of it. But that is a classic, I think, a stark example of where 
you could see the damage yeah. being compounded. It's interesting that you say that because it is, it's just made me think, you know, you often do see as well, a lot of people come forward, especially with historical child abuse, maybe when one of their parents has died and you know, they say, well, I, I didn't want to do this when my mum was alive because, you know, she didn't want me to come forward because it made me look, particularly when years ago when they're young, it made me look like I was being promiscuous. Mm. And it's, it's interesting to see how attitudes are changing. But as you say, it's difficult. And I think the most important thing for parents to do, as you say, we can't say what's what's right or what's wrong, but I guess it's just making the child feel as safe and as safe as possible and feeling free from judgment and embarrassment. But yeah, I think a lot of parents do just go into denial and it's probably because they just can't, they're so upset, they almost don't want it to be true and, mm. and they almost just want to not think about it and kind of forget about it. Yes, and then you've got the you know the other side of all this, you've got the children trying to protect the parents. You know, how often is it said, oh, I couldn't come forward all the time. My mum or mum or dad or parents were alive because they knew it would be devastating for them. Yeah, yeah. You know, which is all, you know, very understandable. You've got the, you know, the children, adult children, carrying that huge burden, burden yeah. of what's happened to them, but also this burden of that they feel responsible for what happened. And that responsibility goes towards protecting their parents from knowing the the truth that is a considerable yeah burden to carry i think especially if the perpetrators may be a family member or a close family friend then you know the child may be worried about the implications of that yeah relating to their parents maybe splitting up a family or maybe even thinking they you know the other family member would be believed and yeah as you say, it's, a, it's a huge burden going back to my crime days um when i used to be prosecuting and defending you know the cases that i had where daughters have been sexually abused by their fathers and never said anything until dad, father, turned um, his attentions to the grandchildren, started to sexually abuse the grandchildren. And then I think that sort of maternal instinct bond of protecting one's own children comes to the fore and they think, well, I was prepared to keep quiet about what dad did to me, but I'm not prepared to keep quiet about what dad is now doing to my own children. Yeah, you know, those those sort of cases were, you know, are quite illuminating as to the, you know, burden that the, the child carries, you know, there she is, or he and sometimes, you know, protecting the family. Um, but a tipping point is then reached where they feel that they've got no choice but to come forward and make a complaint to the police about what's going on in the family. Yeah, you yeah, know, that is a common thing. I think, you know, naturally with children, you know, if they've been abused at a really young age, they're not going to know the difference from right or wrong, especially if it's a family member or a, or a close relative, friend who is abusing them. They're not going to know. So, and I mean, in some cases, it may not be until they've got a bit older as well and they then realise it, it wasn't right and, and they want to come forward and, and disclose. And then, of course, you get, you know, in these family cases, you get, you know, this, you know, the horrendous aspect of, it's a sort of open secret as to what's going on. There's an adult in the family, um, maybe the wife's or mother knows what's going on, but in order to keep the family together, in her mind, you know, she has to tolerate what's going on. And I think that, you know, when that 
that is, again, on one level, you sort of understand it, but actually on another level, you think, no, no, that's just crazy. You're just compounding what's going on and the damage that you're causing to to the children is immense. I mean, you've got that sort of open secret. But then we have to step step back and appreciate that all of this is being caused by the perpetrator. Yeah. I think it's good that people are more willing to talk about these sort of very difficult issues now, more so than, say, 20 years ago, because I think it's only by society talking about the unmentionable, because it is in many ways still an unmentionable subject, talking about sexual abuse within a family, but we're ever going to be able to turn the tide, so to speak. Yeah, well, you know, we know how difficult and uncomfortable it can be for people to come forward and, and want to relive and talk about what's happened to them. But yeah, as you say, Alan, I mean, there's there's a lot more support networks available now, maybe than there was before. I mean, you have Childline, probably a lot more children have mobile phones. So I know you can easily report through Childline and to the police through different systems like that, which probably help. But, you know, it's still just as difficult for for children to disclose, nevertheless. I think it was really interesting. I found a report from NSPCC called No One Noticed, No One Heard. Now, this is a study of disclosures of childhood abuse from 2019. And the key findings from this report were that, on average, it took seven years for the young person to disclose the sexual abuse, which is a long time time. for a child to carry that burden on them. And obviously, we know the impact that has on someone's mental health. So seven years is, I was quite shocked at that figure. Well, it is a shocking figure, but if you think about it, the average age of a person that comes to see us, probably they're in their 40s. Yeah, I just think it's really upsetting that people feel like they can't speak about it for such a long time. Obviously, we understand why, but it's it's really upsetting. And of course, it doesn't help if, they have tried to say something and the person that they're receiving it, the adult, no doubt, doesn't act on it. You know, that just sort of compounds the the fallback position of saying nothing. Because I think the same survey showed that, was it 80% of young people tried to tell somebody? Yeah. But they weren't really listened to? Yeah. I think that's the really, for me, most frightening statistic. And you think of all the training, safeguarding training that there now is in schools and sport and whatever it happens to be, that you wouldn't see a figure like that. Yeah. I mean, 80%. So that's only 20% of children that told someone actually, you know, fully, you know, was understood and listened to. Mm. Yeah, I mean, also found in this report, it it does mention, you know, it's quite an important thing. There's a number of different ways in which a child may try to let someone know. Obviously, these are children. It it might not be a straightforward sat down. I I think it's just about parents recognising the signs and being able to communicate with a child probably about these sort of difficult conversations and matters. And it's a fact of life. It's often, you know, victims of childhood sexual abuse are already vulnerable when they are abused um, because, you know, their particular circumstances, subject for another another podcast, I suspect, but, you know, sex offenders seem to have this sort of ability to detect vulnerable potential victims. But anyway, so, and it may well be that those victims and survivor doesn't have that sort of family background where they can 
run home, so to speak, and say something's happened, which just emphasises the need for other adults in that child's life need to be very aware of the potential signs. You know, as I said, you know, teachers and people working in sport and whatever all have this safeguarding training. And I suppose it begs the question how effective this, this training is. Anyway, again, subject for another podcast. Yeah, and just to touch on, I know you just mentioned about how perpetrators have a way to to prevent children from disclosing. I mean, we've seen in many cases how manipulative they can be. And I think, you know, often, especially with grooming cases, they may tell the child that they'll get into trouble if they say something or other things, you know, to, to try and make them think this is normal. And naturally, as a, as a really young child, they're not going to think any different. And people do carry those beliefs for years and years after. They'll, they'll still, you know, as an adult, they'll still almost think they're going to get into trouble if if they say or it's really really damaging and it can you know the impact can last with people it's complex you know we i think we've got to remember and again it's something that you know is difficult to understand you, you know the abuser may be the only adult person in that child's life with whom they're having some kind of quote unquote relationship with you know there's a sort of Wisted, unhealthy bond there. You know that. You know the child might be dependent on that person. Um, that child might feel that this person's their only friend. You know, again, very powerful dynamics at play, which we see and we have to accept happens. You know, it's not stranger in the park jumping out from behind a bush. This is often somebody who's very much in the child's life. Yeah, and and that's why it's even more important to to see more training and more. Just more education, I think, in schools, in clubs, because as you say, that person, the perpetrator, may be the only adult in their life. So it's important that other people can recognise the signs too. Sure. Okay, so we'll draw that podcast or this podcast to a close. Thank you, Hannah, for bringing this to um table, so to speak, for our latest podcasts. As always, if you have suggestions out there for future podcasts, please do tell us. If you would like to talk to us about any of the issues in this podcast or any of the other podcasts, then please do get in touch. Until next time, it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from Hannah. Bye, Helen. Bye, listeners. Thank you for listening to this episode of HJ Talks About Abuse. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify or your favourite podcast player. If you'd like to speak to us about something you've heard today, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at aboutabuse at hjtalks.co.uk.